Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to the Day 5 Rogers Cup episode. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre for Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. You can find me at BenLewisSN590, and you can now find Mike at McIntyre Tennis. Fresh new Twitter handle as uh, we continue our coverage down at the Aviva Center. And Mike, we're getting right into quarterfinal action now in both Toronto and Montreal. Bianca Andreescu continues to find a way to win matches. We will hear from digital host Nick McCarvel on the episode. And you also had a chance to speak with the 2015 winner, Belinda Bencic. It's a pretty solid episode today. Yeah, a lot of content to get to. And who would have thought that of all the Canadians that Bianca Andreescu in both tournaments, Montreal and Toronto, after all this time away from the tour, she'd only played one match in four months coming in here, that she would be the last Canadian standing. But she's come in and she's worked her way through the matches, difficult matches, lengthy matches, and she's getting better and better along the way. And despite the fact that she spent all that time on court, and it is quite remarkable, the number of hours now, she still comes into press looking fresh as can be, huge smiles on her face, because she's almost playing with house money. Who expected that she would be in the quarterfinals of the Rogers Cup? Yeah, it's uh, pretty incredible, but as you said... Major physical toll over those three matches. You started off with a win over Jeannie Bouchard in three sets. We had Daria Kazukina, who I think we were surprised got through Angelique Kerber. Uh, but that match took two hours, 39 minutes, and then nearly three and a half hours on court. Three hours, 28 minutes to beat uh, world number five, uh, Kiki Burtons. And for me, that was her best win so far of the event. I, th- I think she's progressively got better with each match. Well, and she's facing tougher opponents as she goes along too. No disrespect to Jeannie Bouchard, who played in particular a great first set against her in that Tuesday night match. Then Daria Kasakina, a player who hasn't uh, really had much success in 2019, although I still would say, you know, a dangerous player who's yeah. capable of, of results, but Kiki Burdens, yeah, world number five, number four seed in the tournament. That is a major step up. Someone who's been playing well lately uh, as well. And now her next match, which is going to be daytime session uh, today, being Friday against Carolina uh, Carolina Pliskova, uh, another step up. Someone who's been playing really well this week. The big serve, obviously, is something that we know about the potential to uh, reacquire the number one number one ranking as well, which no doubt must be motivating her. Uh, Bianca's going to have her hands full. That being said, I think with her toolbox, as she calls it, she's got a lot of variety in there that could give someone like Pliskova some trouble. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, these two have, of course, never faced. So I think Pliskova is going to be expecting and receiving something different. That's what we've talked about with Andrescu. Within that toolbox, uh, you can't really pick up a rhythm and a style of how she plays. Uh, you don't know if you're going to get an aggressive player, a crafty player, a defensive player, because she can do a mix of kind of all styles quite, quite well. Karolina Pliskova, to me, is certainly going to be the, the most powerful player Bianca ha- has faced this week, as we said, uh, the ace queen of course and then a very powerful forehand so I, I'm curious to see if she can hang with her from the back of the court no matter when her tournament ends this has been a huge positive return to tennis uh, she says she's not feeling any pain no injuries at this point knock on wood uh, if it ends in the quarterfinals that's still a great result if it continues my goodness what what an incredible season to continue and given that gap in the middle of it all it's just quite impressive that this 19-year-old has come in in her home tournament with that added pressure as well 
and she's handled it as well as as she's done so far. Yeah, it's been a certainly remarkable tournament for the uh, native of Mississauga who has Romanian blood and the one Romanian in the draw still there, Simona Halep, who has been successful in the past at this tournament. And after a shaky win over the American Jennifer Brady, uh, she played a great match against Svetlana Kuznetsova winning in straight sets there. And she will get a very winnable match next against uh, Maria Bozkova. Uh, so that will be an evening session. The big Bigger evening session match, though, that's going to get going at 7 o'clock. We have to talk about is Naomi Osaka uh, against Serena Williams. I'll start on Osaka's side because I thought she played a great match to defeat uh, Iga Swiatek of Poland, a qualifier, an 18-year-old who uh, I think we're going to be hearing her name for years to come. Yeah, the youngster was very impressive, even in defeat. And, uh, you know, coming from Poland, I think, obviously, of uh, Agar Rudwanska first and foremost. Mm. But talk about different games. I mean, Rudwanska, such a crafty returner, long rallies, all sorts of different shots. And Swiatek, a little bit more a power game that uh, Rudwanska didn't have. Just turned 18 in uh, May, and this is going to be a player to watch uh, for years to come. Her and Osaka had a very nice sort of uh, back and forth after the match on Twitter, and apparently now they're going to hit together at the U.S. Open and practice there. And uh, I think a new like BFF, like a new friendship has been formed here, which is nice to see among two of the, the younger players on tour. Osaka obviously has accomplished a lot more, but still so young. And so I just like to see that uh, camaraderie and, and good sportsmanship happening. Uh, Osaka moves on, which, amazing, you and I didn't jinx this Serena-Osaka reunion. That's right. Uh, so maybe our the curse of the uh, Matchpoint Canada uh, predictions is over. Really looking forward to this one tonight. Uh, how do you see this one shaping up? Well, to me, Naomi Osaka has played the better tennis of the two. Uh, she had a, an easy start. Keep in mind, won the first set against uh, Tatiana Maria 6-2, and then Maria had to retire with injury, so Osaka has not had that much time on court. I thought she was really reliant on her serve in beating uh, Iga last night, and it was uh, some great serving at crucial moments. She was really composed under pressure, played all the key points very, very well. And uh, yeah, when I watched kind of Osaka in the zone, to me, she is sort of the future star. Well, she is a superstar, but uh, superstar for years to come on the WTA. I think she has all the intangibles and tools to be a, a world number one player for, for many, many years and win multiple Grand Slams. I think this week is still a, a small sample size for me with Osaka. Admittedly, as you said, yesterday was fantastic. Uh, Serena has looked, by her own admission, as sluggish on the court. I think uh, there are signs that things are improving, and I think she's going to raise her game for a moment like this against Osaka. Not like a revenge match, but I'm sure there's part of her that would like to sort of uh, try and get closer to evening up the head-to-head as she trails uh, you know, 2-0 and against Osaka. Uh, the other thing for me with Naomi is, uh, although she does seem to be enjoying herself back on the court again, which is very positive, she has not beat a top 20 player since the Australian Open this year. She's only played a couple because she hasn't gotten deep into that many draws. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those were against Belinda Bencic, actually, who defeated her both those times. So maybe it is, you know, maybe she's due for that big win, Osaka, I mean. But I also think Serena's going to raise her game, and I put this one at almost 50-50 tonight. Yeah, I, I think uh, how Serena starts will be critical in in this match, Serena started slow against Mertens. She also started slow against Ekaterina Alexandrova, falling down 
Dance Free Love, and I felt like she wasn't getting her feet moving early on. That, to me, it, it wasn't an effort thing. It was like she was just trying to get herself going, but it wasn't there yet. And uh, when she really needed to rely on some movement and, and some power hitting from the baseline, she found a way to escape and, and win both matches in straight sets. But uh, she certainly hasn't hit her peak level this tournament. And my question is, if it's not there uh, and you fall behind early to Naomi Osaka, are you going to be strong enough to come back? Because Osaka probably won't easily relinquish uh, an early lead. Going to be a packed house. Going to be a packed house to watch this one. And uh, regardless of what happens, it is a, a step forward for Serena just in, in non-slam competition. Uh, I saw on Twitter, uh, it escapes me who tweeted it out at this moment, but uh, it's the first quarterfinal at a non-slam for Serena since 2016, which is a heck of a long time. Yeah. Obviously, she's been through a lot since then. But nice to see her having some success in a tournament that, uh, hey, Rogers Cup is still a big tournament, but a tournament that's outside of the four majors. Yes, certainly. Uh, and one other quarterfinal to, to mention, Sophia Cannon uh, getting the afternoon slate started against Alina Spitalina. Cannon really got the tournament rolling early on with that big upset of world number one Ashley Barty, who uh, will lose her number one ranking uh, come Monday next week. Alina Spitalina moving on. She played a great match against uh, Belinda Bencic and seems to be hitting her stride. Uh, really had a great time for her in the summer hardcourt swing. Uh, we know she won the title here two years ago. So a big win over Belinda Bencic, who has also played some great tennis this season. And I know you had a chance to speak with her as well uh, this week. Yeah, Belinda is our most recent guest this week on Matchpoint Canada. We've been really fortunate to get some great WTA names. And her loss to Svitolina was actually the first time she's lost at the Rogers Cup. She only played the event once before in 2015 when she won it. So that streak comes to an end. But Bencic sat down with me, talked about all sorts of memories from that win in 2015, the unfortunate injuries she's had since then. And uh, let's have a listen and we'll uh, chat about it a little bit after. Okay, so we are pleased to welcome to the podcast today Belinda Bencic, uh, 2015 Rogers Cup champion, who's back in Toronto at the moment. Uh, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank you very much. Um, so similarities between Switzerland and Canada, apart from the fact that we've got red and white in our <laughs> flags, are there anything that you sort of pick up on when you're over here visiting that reminds you at all of home? Um, definitely the hockey. Um, I think big rivals in hockey as well and uh, yeah for sure the flag actually and um, yeah I don't know I just feel very comfortable um, being in Canada of course also the French even though I don't I mean I understand a little bit but I don't speak that well um, but yeah that's some similarities. You get asked when you're back here, of course, about your big run in 2015. You were so young at the time. I mean, you're still so young now, but 18 years old to have such a big tournament victory. What are your positive memories from back then? Uh, well, everything is posi uh, positive in these memories. Um, of course, I was very young. You know, I just um, came here and played um, every match uh, really just very freely and, and very good. So... Uh, I remember this as the most positive week of my life, the biggest title I won. Um, and yeah, I, I really, it feels like I've been here yesterday. So I'm so excited to be back and um, I'm just feeling really good here on these courts. Unfortunately, you've had some tough luck with injuries since that time, but now you're back near the top of the women's game, pushing close to the top 10 again. Were there times when you were out with injury where you started to wonder if you would be able to come back and reach the same levels? Yeah, for sure. There were times I was wondering, especially, you know, when I was in pain and uh, my injury wasn't getting better and, and I was just, you know, in the process of recovering and, and things just weren't going well. But um, thankfully, I stayed patient or my team 
um, pushed me to stay patient and uh, it paid off. I definitely always believed that if I'm going to be healthy and, and working the right way that um, I can play at the top level again. But you know, you never know in, in sports and um, I'm just really happy I'm back now. Here in Canada, we're just starting to develop some really good singles players on both the men's and the women's tour. In Switzerland, a little different because you're following in some big footsteps, of mm. course, Roger Federer, Martina Hingis. Um, how, how is it having to sort of come up after a generation of players who are some of the all-time greats like, like those two? What are some of the positives, but maybe also some of the challenges involved in that? Um, well, the positive for sure is just um, that, for example, Roger and Martina, they inspired the whole nation and um, young players like me to, to just start and playing tennis, young kids. And there's much more um, interest in tennis, which is amazing, uh, I think. And, and we had some great players. Even our Fed Cup team now is so strong. Wawrinka is doing also great. Um, Federer is still doing amazing. So um, we have a lot of players and um, kind of it takes a little bit the pressure off as well because we have so many but um challenges for sure are that people get used to you know like amazing results like from roger and stan and um yeah they kind of expect you to, to do the same you've had the fun opportunity the past couple of years to play hotman cup with roger and you guys are 2018 and 2019 champions i believe that event looks like it might be up in the air looking for a new home how important it would it be for you to see that continue somewhere and get to continue to play that with roger yeah, I mean, I'd love to see the event continuing because, um, to be honest, it's my favorite event of the year because um, it was organized so well. It was um, full house every day. The people were so interesting, uh, interested in to seeing us play. And I also think the format um, was great because you, you don't see that every tournament, you know, guys playing and then girls playing and then mixed doubles. I think it was so fun, even for us players. And um, I'm really sad uh, that I heard that it's not going to be in Perth anymore, but I really hope uh, it's going to find some new place. Now, there is a big international event happening next summer, of course, the Olympics. Um, what are your, um, you know, looking forward to that potentially playing mixed doubles? Singles certainly must be on your radar. How important is the Olympics to you in the big picture? Yeah, it's going to be my first Olympics, which makes it so exciting. Of course, I think every athlete is dreaming of being an Olympian and I still can't believe um, to be there and uh, it sounds unreal um, but I still haven't you know put a lot of thought to it for sure I'm going to play singles but I don't know about the rest of the events and I'm sure we're gonna figure out soon well thank you so much for joining us today on Matchpoint Canada and good luck the rest of your summer thank you So there you have it, Belinda, Belinda Benchage stopping by to talk with us. And uh, to me, I really enjoyed chatting with her about uh, sort of playing with Roger Federer mm -hmm. and being able to have those experiences. I mean, he's almost double her age. She, she was born and he was already a pretty great tennis player. Um, looking forward to playing with him again and disappointed that the Hopman Cup, which is one of those kind of cool events that in the past has kickstarted the tennis season involving the men and the women in a fun exhibition format, uh, is no longer going to be happening in Perth. She's hopeful that it'll find a new home. I'd love to see it find a new home as well because there's only so many opportunities throughout the calendar year that the men and the women are together and playing together. At slams, we've got mixed doubles, but most of the top players choose not to do that. Hopman Cup, you see Federer playing alongside Bencic. 
and I've really enjoyed that. And uh, they're two-time defending champions, so why wouldn't she want to see that continue as well? Yes, I, I know uh, we've both discussed uh, Hotman Cup in the past, and unfortunate that it's going to be a, a event that an event that goes by the wayside because I do think it was popular uh, and a good choice for Roger Federer, for example, to get his season started, but you don't have the pressure of points. But it, it's great competitive tennis in a country format where it's not Fed Cup or Davis Cup, and, and that's sort of a unique quality to it. So it's a shame uh, that is is falling by the wayside you are listening to matchpoint canada you can find us on twitter at matchpoint can you can follow us on instagram as well matchpoint canada we got to discuss the men's side as well felix oj aliasim on his 19th birthday uh played a fantastic match against karen hachinov of russia but uh comes on the losing side of it uh in a tough tough three setter felix did take the first set seven six in a tie break the crowd was absolutely electric uh, despite the loss afterwards, Felix said uh, it was a moment he will never forget for the rest of his life, feeling the crowd's energy and support. Yeah, no doubt. And we knew it was going to be like that there for Felix, of course, being French-Canadian, being from Quebec and Montreal. It felt more like a hockey game than a tennis match. And uh, Hatchinov sort of alluded afterwards that, uh, not alluded, but he was very direct about how the crowd was, you know, at times maybe a little bit too much. But he also was kind of egging them on and sort of yes. using that to his advantage, which, you know, kudos to him. Uh, so, yeah, a loss on his birthday, which is uh, unfortunate. Obviously, would have been the best birthday present ever if Felix had been able to win. But he's hanging with the best players on the ATP Tour. He was outside of the top 100 at the start of the season. He has announced himself to the tennis world. He's still incredibly young. So much good, uh, you know, good stuff ahead for Felix. He's going to have some special moments in Montreal and Toronto undoubtedly as well in the future as he continues that growth, development, gets more experience playing against these top guys, more experience in those pressure moments too. Um, I think a very positive week for Felix. Yeah, definitely a positive week uh, reaching the round of 16. And to me, his game is, you know, almost right on par with a player like Karen Hatchinoff, who is someone who won a Masters 1000 last year uh, in Paris, beating Novak Djokovic in the final, had a good U.S. Open last season. He was in the semifinals when we saw him in Toronto and played a competitive match against Rafael Nadal. And now the men's side, the way the quarterfinals are, are shaking up, we're seeing kind of the next wave of, of players I think we're going to anticipate anticipate taking over the ATP when the big three leaves. You look at the matchups, Medvedev versus Team. Team, obviously, the second seed and a fantastic player. And then Hachinov against Verov is very intriguing. We have the top seed, Rafael Nadal, uh, against Fabio Fanini. And then Gael Monfils against Roberto Bautista. A couple veterans there. But those early matches are very fascinating to me. If you look at the bottom half of the draw, that's, to me, a preview of what a, 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 an ATP tour is going to look like after... After the big three retires, having those guys that you just mentioned, Medvedev, Team, Hachinov, Zverev, Felix, hopefully Dennis as well, Denis Shapovalov as well in the future. This is what it's going to look like. And it's it's kind of cool to, to be like, hey, if this is what the ATP Tour is going to be in a few years, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with these personalities. I'm okay with the contrast in, in games. Uh, I think that the ATP Tour, obviously, it's going to be a, an adjustment period. But it doesn't mean I'm not excited about what it's going to look like. Yes. Uh, no, the, these are all fantastic players. Big time win for Sasha Zverev. Should give him credit. Dug deep. Took a three-setter over uh, Nicholas Basilashvili. 7-6 in the third. He celebrated almost as if he had won the title. Uh, I think that was a reflection of how much it meant to him that he's really been in bad form for the past you know, four or five months. So big time win for him. And that will be a, a great showcase against Hachinov. Dominic team there against Medvedev is great. Rafael Nadal, uh, 
setting more records uh, since we love to talk about numbers, picking up his um, 379th uh, Masters 1000 match win, which surpasses uh, Roger Federer for most all-time. Pretty impressive. It's not bad. It's not bad. Not bad. Just uh, kind of alludes to the longevity uh, of Rafael Nadal. Um, Obviously, Federer would have a chance to pass that. And sorry, I'm just thinking right now we should also mention in terms of uh, Nadal news that he and Roger Federer, uh, it just was revealed by the ATP Tour yesterday uh, on Thursday, that they have joined the player council. So now we have all the big three there, the two of them joining uh, President Novak Djokovic. And so it's going to be very interesting to see now what happens with them in the mix. Do they align with how Djokovic and other player council members are kind of envisioning the way the tour is going to go? Do they mesh together? Um, having the big three involved to me is is a huge benefit. I mean, in terms of what direction things are going to go, in terms of being able to represent, because uh, they're not just representing their own interests. Those three have enough money, enough tournaments, oh, yeah. enough you know under their belt. I do believe that between the three of them, they have other players' best interests at heart. Uh, it's been a real up-and-down season in terms of the politics. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if they could bring some stability and sort of get on the same page and do what's uh, best for, for the players and the tour, uh, if possible, uh, simultaneously. Yeah, certainly. It, it was funny that Rafael Nadal essentially stated in his press conference that uh, he wouldn't have joined the player council if Roger Federer wasn't joining. So it was like the two of them were in it together. Uh, one wasn't going to go without without the other. I don't know if we're going to see, see sort of big, sweeping, full-scale changes uh, to how things are run across the ATP, but it is great to have you know two of the best, well, really three the three greatest of all time all a part of the players council uh, acting in the interests of the players oh and uh, Jurgen Meltzer and Jurgen Meltzer uh, yes don't forget the key addition <laughs> as well Jurgen Meltzer uh before we go here in terms of talking about tennis we had a great chance to uh, sit down with a digital host for the week and he covers tournaments year round uh Nick McCarvel and uh we'll play that for you because uh he's he can give a, a fresh perspective on, on covering tournaments uh, from a hosting side on digital platforms. He's been doing a great job uh, at Aviva Center in Toronto. So we'll have a listen now to Nick McCarvel. So, Nick, you're kind of a, a jack of all trades in the tennis world. It seems always doing something a little bit different. Uh, how exactly would you define the role that you do in the tennis uh, world? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I oscillate through uh, descriptors as far as my Twitter profile and, and what to use these days. But um, I started out more writing. Uh, the first slam I ever did was the U.S. Open 2009. Um, I was actually credentialed for the New York Times because at that point they had a blog. And so I was working as a writer. And that's where my degree is, is I'm a, a a journalist, um, a written journalist sort of, um, when it comes back to all of it. But after sort of oscillating through a few different, um, gigs, I started working for USA Today and I was their chief tennis writer for two years. And within that, I started working on social media platforms and doing some video hosting and some podcast stuff. And that's more where I am now hosting and presenting, um, mostly contracting with tournaments, helping them with their digital space. Like I am here at Rogers cup this week. Seems like it's going pretty well for you. I think I <laughs> yeah. see more and more Nick McCarvel every every year on the tour. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think when you're in front of the camera, you're more visible. I think when I was writing, I, I was maybe, quote unquote, less visible, but I was probably working harder, to be quite honest, Mike. I, I wasn't. Um, now I get to work with fantastic teams that put me in front of the camera. I worked with Wimbledon Channel at the French Open. We had a nightly wrap-up show that we did for the FFT 
Um, I had a radio product that I worked as a part of at, at the, um, Indian Wells. Charleston, I do a lot of writing, so maybe you'd see me less there. But um, I've sort of developed these relationships with the tournament. And it's really cool because, you know, it's a, a traveling circus, tennis is. And so it's nice to see some of the familiar faces. And I think the players feel that the same. I think that's maybe why I get asked back to a lot of these events is because I'm familiar with the product, what they want. And then also there's the familiarity, too, with the players themselves. And uh, surely over that time, you've become pretty familiar with uh, on-site, uh, the Aviva Center and all the activities uh, across Toronto. Mm-hmm. If you could compare maybe to other tournaments, uh, how would you assess kind of the vibe around tennis in the city and uh, how the fans are enjoying it? Yeah, I mean, this is a great facility. And even from the first time I came, uh, Ben, in 2016, I feel like they've they've improved it a lot. There's been a lot of changes and it differs a little bit from the men's year to the women's year. But I like this, uh, this tournament because it, it's big time and and the tennis is big time, the stars are big time, but then it also feels sort of hometown and welcoming. And I don't know if that's Toronto or if that's Canada or, or where that sort of mix comes in, but I feel that uh, to me it's kind of a mix of, say, like a U.S. Open meets Indian Wells meets something smaller like Charleston, if I were to put it in American terms. And, you know, I think tennis in Canada is really growing. You look at what Jeannie's been able to do in Milos and now this next generation generation with Bianca and Felix and Dennis. It's really cool. And to watch that energy around the sport because I remember as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s and watching the Canadian Open um, on TV. It was this, uh, this event that I really admired and it's been really fun to come and see it in action and you feel that um, the pulse you feel sort of the vibrancy around the tennis community here they're calling it the golden years already of Canadian tennis and (laughs) and the majority of our players are like 19 20 years old so imagine where we go from here right yeah totally I think you're a little premature to say golden years just yet but hopefully there are what platinum years ahead there we go Um, (laughs) hey you've uh, had your hand in creating some enjoyable little spots both this week and in general uh, following the tour what are some of the ones that you're most proud of or or enjoyed the most making we certainly like the maple syrup one that we saw (laughs) yeah that was a highlight for sure how about the Canadians crushing it at the maple syrup challenge yeah that was uh, that. that was very impressive <laughs> no i mean that was sort of one of the uh, you know the onus when i got into hosting is that i really wanted to push the personality of the players and i think that's been a big part of social media right is that players have their own megaphones and that they get to be more a part of the storytelling themselves um a few years ago at indian wells i hosted this video where we got we just did a quiz on all the players but we had giant cardboard cutouts of everyone's heads And so the players had to answer by putting the answer's face in front of their own face, which was fun. This week, we did the really fun maple syrup one, as you guys mentioned. We also did a mock training uh, press conference video, learning how to, um, you know, learning how to do press and be in front of the media, which was really fun. Last year at Wimbledon, they were celebrating, I think it was their 125th anniversary or some sort of anniversary at the All England Club. So we did a croquet challenge. And that was pretty fun. Um, and Roger Federer wasn't very good at croquet, which really? was a surprise. I just <laughs> assumed he was good at absolutely everything he tried, <laughs> you would think. Uh, but uh, that's that's nice to know. Um, well, uh, you know, you've touched on the personalities of the players, which I think the, the videos bring out so nicely. Uh, if we're talking just tennis this week, I think some of these names are unfamiliar to Toronto fans and, and names who are still sticking around, like players like uh, Sophia Kennan, who's been well, and at Contavite, who had been doing well until losing to Caroline 
Alina Pliskova, uh, who's really impressed you this week on the tennis court. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Kennan. She's an American player who's she beat Serena at the French Open. She's won a couple titles this year. Um, she beat Diana Yastremska, who has been an up-and-coming player this last year. She has three titles in the last year. Contivate, I thought that was a cool win for her over Sharapova. That was a really high-quality match. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because as you travel on tour and see these players and, and they develop these personas and following on the tennis tour, but then to see who translates in the market, Bianca's a superstar this week, which is awesome. Jeannie Bouchard, the, the fact that they shared the stage Tuesday night, that was really cool. And you also feel that for Leila Annie Fernandez. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, coming in and having these players like a Pliskova, like a Bencic, like a Svitolina um, that are somewhat familiar to tennis fans, I think that that's what the WTA needs. I think that's what we've gotten this week in Toronto because you have your mainstays like Serena. You've got your mainstays like Wozniacki, who lost last night. Um, I think it's great to see Naomi Osaka continue to try to figure out how to be one of the top because it, it's much different when you go from being hunted to or the hunter to the hunted. And I think she's figuring that out. But Osaka is someone that I think is is really trying to figure out her own tennis. And it's nice to see some of the old names too, like older names in air quotes, like Svetlana Kuznetsova, who's had a great comeback week this week. You talk about the needs of the WTA Tour and just in tennis in general. We had a really cool initiative yesterday at the Rogers Cup where Fila partnered with You Can Play to have a pride celebration here at the Rogers Cup. You asked a question to Serena Williams about that and how important it is to have that inclusivity. So could you just kind of elaborate about the importance from your perspective of having tennis take a, a forefront uh, on this initiative? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I got quite the answer from Serena that maybe I would have wanted. But um, yeah, listen, in the last year, we've done this movement called LGB Tennis, so LGBT Tennis, and just, uh, you know, re-engaging the tennis community with this conversation because Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King have been fantastic in the, I mean, really, they've been complete trailblazers, not only for tennis, but for women and sport and really overall in society. Um, the the initiative we did yesterday that Jeff Donaldson sort of spearheaded here at Tennis Canada that Fila and You Can Play were involved with, it was really cool and it was awesome to see people get excited about just the rainbow colored wristbands. Yeah. Yes. It's funny when you just have something like that that's visible and, you know, obviously the LGBT community, which I'm a part of, I think that's a, a big visibility piece for the community itself. And so for Rogers Cup to take that on, I think that's really awesome. Um, we've done events, Mike, in New York, in Melbourne, and London um, as part of LGB Tennis. And Billie Jean King came in, in London and spoke to a group of young leaders, including young queer leaders. And, and just the opportunity for tennis to take a place at the cultural table. And uh, this is a great sport. It's a sport that's individually driven. And I think the queer community really feels a connection to it. And the last thing we're doing is to ask anyone to come out or to feel uncomfortable or that they're not welcome. And uh, I hope that, you know, anyone who's listening that wants to feel as though that they can be a part of tennis, that they do. And that if you don't feel like you're connected to the sport, that you can feel further connected. And tennis is certainly a, a sport for everyone. Just uh, for fans who are trying to stay plugged in this week and, and follow all the content, uh, where should they follow you and, and the content you're uh, delivering for Rogers well, Cup? Well, I've been so lucky, Ben, to work with Rogers Cup and the social media team that they have here. I mean, it's fantastic what they've grown in the last three years since I first did Rogers Cup. 
the video quality content, the fact that you guys are doing this podcast, which congratulations, it's been so cool to watch Thank it. Thank you very much. Be Thanks, out there this year weekly, and then the fact that you're doing it daily, that's what we need in this kind of space is to push against that um, digital hub. So Rogers Cup across their different platforms, I'm there, and then uh, simply I'm at Nick McCarville on social media, and people can follow me there. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks. <laughs> There you have it, Nick McCarville, and you can find him, as he said on Twitter, at Nick McCarville. Uh, so many fun videos that uh, the Rogers Cup uh, Twitter account has released this week. Maybe my favorite, probably the uh, maple syrup competition. The maple syrup one was really good, in particular in that video, and we'll have to retweet it, was Simona Halep, I think, was the only one of the players who didn't actually taste the different maple syrup um, uh, samples that they had. She preferred just to smell them. So ah. I think Simona Halep just, you know, tennis first and can't <laughs> pollute the body with That's any right. uh, sugary substances. Yeah. So that was a laugh. And uh, the other video that was cool was their one about uh, how players should handle uh, press conferences and how media should pose their questions. Yes. And that was a riot too. They really did a great job at showcasing the personalities of the WTA Tour, which is something we've talked about this year that is so needed because you've got all these wonderful, talented tennis players. You've got to share with fans and people that are coming to the sport a little bit more about who they are as people too. Yeah. And Nick has been, you know, just at the forefront of being able to do that tournament after tournament, getting players to, you know, let down their guard, make them feel comfortable. I'd love to see him do a spot with Nick Curios and see what he oh, could wow. do with that yeah. uh, complex personality on the ATP Tour because... Nick is definitely one of the happiest, friendliest guys in tennis, and uh, that'd be a neat pairing, I think, to me. That would be quite uh, something to watch. Uh, we should thank all the WTA players uh, we've had a chance to speak with uh, over the week as well. Uh, only great things to say. Everybody has been warm, welcoming, and friendly, and uh, gracious with their time. And three of our four guests are into the quarterfinals in the top half, so maybe coming on the podcast you know, bodes well for your success in the perhaps, tournament. Perhaps, perhaps it does. A little good luck charm from uh, Match Point Canada. That is our day five episode from Rogers Cup. We will talk to you next time.